HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. That's our new song, theme song by Travis and the Beer Amigos, and he's going to be on the phone shortly. All right, I'm here. It's, uh, gosh, what an overwhelming show. January 22nd, 2013. We've got guys from Maine, uh, cider from Spain, beer from Spain. Jen Swartman from Blind Tiger, how are hey, you? Hey, Jimmy. It's been a while. It's good to be back. Yeah, and I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. We're supported by the people of greatbrewers.com. Check it out. Learn more about beer and where to find your favorite beers on greatbrewers.com. Okay, so um, we've got a new theme song, and I want to give a quick shout-out, Travis, and uh, the Beer Amigos uh, gave us that theme song. Travis, are you on the air? Yes, I am, Jimmy. How are you? Travis, thanks so much. Um, tell us uh, about your show, The Beer Amigos, because you guys have a really good beer podcast in Long Island, don't you? Yeah, it basically started off just out of uh, me and my friend Mike's uh, love for craft beer. Started attending all the festivals on Long Island, started visiting all the breweries, started buying all the beer. Um, and one day we said to ourselves, you know, why don't we just start podcasting about it uh, and promoting the Long Island beer scene? And that's exactly what we do. So if you go to iTunes, uh, type in the Beer Amigos, you could hear our podcast uh free well thanks hey listen stay on and listen in we, we've got some great guests today i'm gonna go around the room we got jen swartman from blind tiger hi hi and uh, john and anthony from uh, rowan imports who bring in s- cider from spain hi hey guys uh, why don't you grab uh, that mic and then dennis and joe fisher uh brothers they're authors of brewing made easy which hey. is a new book out about home brewing hey and uh johnny and jessica from iberian beer united Hello, hello. All right. Hola. So it's going to be a good show. The first thing we're going to start off with is uh, John and Anthony uh, from Rowan Imports. You've uh, tell us about your your Spanish ciders, and you brought this really cool little. Uh, it's like the little boy that you pull out on his pants, and it. What am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> that just sounds terrible. Contraption. Uh, yeah. Um, so we've got two traditional Spanish ciders here. They're both from Asturias in northern Spain. And in Asturias, this is what they drink. They're really not a big beer culture, not a big wine culture. They just drink this traditional Spanish cider. 
which is uh, it's a blend of 22 apples. It's an indigenous yeast fermentation, so it's going to be real sour and funky and earthy. And the contraption uh, is not a little boy pulling his pants down, uh, but it's a... <laughs> it looks like a cute little barrel. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a way to emulate this like four to six foot pour that they use. So uh, it, it kind of pressurizes the bottle and it adds some aeration, which uh, cuts through the acidity. What I, what I like in this thing, too, and what it does is that it forces the cider into the glass with some velocity, very much like a... Um, uh, like the the engines that you use to pour a firkin, you know, the hand pumps, um, kind of force the beer into the bottom of the glass and help give it more of a effervescence, more of a head. So it's pretty neat to watch this thing work. I wish you could see it. Yeah, and it kind of covers the, the showmanship. In the bars there, they'll have the person, the bartender will pour from like four to six feet. He'll hold the glass down and hold the bottle way above his head. And so this kind of copies that. Um, and it's it's really, you know, adds something to the flavor a lot. I think we should try both of them. Is like it battery operated? Are there batteries in there? It's it's a uh, charger okay. that holds the charge. I should say this is a much cleaner way, basically get the effect of pouring in the traditional way. But if you're not an expert, as most of us probably are not, right. then you'll end us. up spilling more than you make in the in the glass. Yeah, it's so, so right. much fun to try. It is so yeah. far, fun. the floor yeah. isn't wet. Yeah, it seems it's great. We could get it that way. Yeah, you think so, Dennis? And the cider's delicious. It's nice and nice and sour. So anybody who would appreciate sour beers and lambic would really gravitate to this particular kind of cider. I'd say I like this cider. I like a very dry cider, and uh, often the ciders I try are way too sweet. And this is uh, this is really nice. Yeah, these are completely different from what most people think of as cider. But you know, this is Spanish cider. They're the largest producers and consumers of cider in the world. You know, if anything is is traditional cider, it's this. What is the ABV? I assume it's pretty low. Six percent. Oh, that's yeah. actually kind of it's yeah. relatively that's, high for a cider. It is isn't for it? a cider, and actually, yeah. some of the ones we carry, also made in Asturias, are as high as ten or eleven percent. They wow. do make a, a frost cider, which is their version of an iced wine. Okay. And a sparkling cider, which is made in the Champenois method, and the alcohol is quite high, eight, eight and a half percent. Jessica uh, from Iberian Beer United. You know, you grew up in Spain. Did you grow up drinking a lot of ciders? Um, when, actually, I stay in the north quite often. So, yeah, we get over to Asturias, and Asturias is, is just filled with it. And not only do you drink it, you cook in it. You make your chorizo in it. You, you know, it's in the fabada that I brought to Jimmy's the other day. Um, and what's gorgeous about it is it's super astringent. And Anthony was telling me the other day that not only does it have all these great qualities, but it's 80 calories a yeah, bottle, yeah. probiotic. And what was the other thing? Gluten free and gluten free. <laughs> yeah. nice. Live better with cider. Right? Yeah, How did you guys start importing cider? Well, <laughs> it's um, kind of an evolving story, and uh, every time we get the question, I guess we give a slightly different answer. But um, the the short answer, I guess, would be we both like cider, and uh, we both like to travel, and we thought we'd combine the two ideas, and we would uh, travel the world, in this case Spain, but we have plans to expand to France and Germany and a few other countries and bring back ciders that have never been available here. Um, All seven of our ciders have uh, never been, for the most part, exported outside of Asturias, certainly never to the United States. So our idea is to uh, really bring the culture, uh, not just cider, but we really want to bring the culture that the cider is from to uh, America. 
And and the way that that we found these ciders is uh, so John was over there with his girlfriend and they were traveling around and they drank some of this and uh, they they absolutely loved it and I was in Southeast Southeast Asia teaching and uh, you know he tasted it loved it brought some back to the U S I came back over and tasted it with him and kind of said you want to do what you want to import all of this to the United States because it is a unique cider. Um, but yeah, we both just fell in love with it and went back to Spain. And these guys, they're apple farmers. You know, they have barely any of them have websites or emails. So we had to rent a car. And with a friend of ours from Spain, we just drove around and showed up at their doorstep, just kind of knocked on their door and said, hi, we're John and Anthony from New York. We want to import cider to the United States. And half of them closed the door in front of us. <laughs> and, and then seven, seven of them said yes. <laughs> How um, many yeah. cider makers are there? There's uh, 32 commercial cider makers uh, that, we, that we know of in Asturias. Um, it's a small province, but you know, they, they drink 54.5 liters per capita, which is by far the largest. And these guys, and Castagnon produces what, like 5 to 10 million liters a year? Mm-hmm. And the same yeah. for Menendez. And they sell out every year. There's not a single year that there's an excess of cider. And Anthony said this is the commercial producers, but pretty much everybody... Uh, almost as a hobby, makes this stuff in their basement or their attic. And uh, so it's widely made, widely distributed. And then there's a few people who make it really on a big scale. And those are the ones we obviously had to work with just because uh, the volume necessary to import. Now, the, the last two years in New York, we've had Cider Week New York. And I, I think a lot of people have been exposed to different styles of cider and more American ciders. How can you account for the difference between like the typical styles of England, France, and, and Spain? In, in the ciders, well, as as far as like the technical details on it, you're getting a lot different apples. The there's 22 varieties of apples that are allowed to use in Spain. That's run through the DOP. That's the exact same as the wine committee. Uh, so these are very very specific DOP certified heirloom varietal crab apples, uh, which you cannot find in the U.S. or elsewhere from that. So everything's got to be estate uh, produced, uh, grown, bottled. Everything has to be done by the producer through these specific apples. And again, with the indigenous yeast, which gives it that much, much different flavor than all other ciders you're going to get from around the world. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, crab apples tend to be pretty sour already, right? And mealy. And, and mealy, mealy. Yeah. I mean, they're not really they're not eating apples edible. at all. No. And so that's really interesting because, uh, you know, I was attributing a lot of the sourness to indigenous yeast and all that, but it makes sense that the base fruit would also I mean, when we say crab apples, uh, crab apples may be a, a specific, uh, you know, word to describe an apple. I'm not sure if it actually is a crab apple, but in terms of taste or appearance, Large it's very apple. similar yeah. to what we they're would know as crab They're not eating apples. Certainly inedible. Yeah. No, you wouldn't want to eat They're them. like peri pears. Yeah. They're that same kind of hard, mealy, so they're resistant to bugs tremendously right. because they don't attract mm-hmm. bees and so forth. Um, and and I, they, Jessica, and do like, you know how to say the word crab apple in Spanish? Because I don't, but I, I wouldn't use it. No, at all. they're just called manzanas. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't call. It, I mean, the, the U.S. crab apple is a small little thing. Yeah, um, but it's similar in that it's not an eating apple, and it's you know better for extracting juices and things like that. But the lore, the the mythology. Actually, Johnny just wrote um, wrote an article for the L Street News. Um, on these guys and on Spanish cider in general, which is, you know, dates back to pre-Roman times. I and mean, these guys were making cider way before the Romans arrived. So, I mean, the, the stories of Avalon and King Arthur are, like, full of cider. Cider was the drink of the gods back then, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was so this it kind of... It was a of, hero's drink. Really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a warrior's uh, drink. We completely Absolutely. agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's toast to the warrior's yeah, drink. Sure. Awesome. Yeah, sure. So, Jessica... Uh, 
You know, next week uh, Oops, you're collaborating with the the Roman Imports on, on a beer dinner at Jimmy's Number Forty Three. How are you going to incorporate? You're going to have some courses of beer that you're importing and some courses of cider. How do you see that working together? Well, I think it's always nice to throw in something really astringent into the maltiness that beer is, um, and and I think Patty the the Patty Jackson, the chef who's doing the pairing meals, um, is is really enthusiastic to change things up so that each tapas pairing is a very different one to the next. So you have a beer like uh, Sagra Pils, which is like super fruit and malt forward Pilsner. I mean, it's got a little crisp back, but it's a big fruitcake of a beer. And... Um, and then you you know you go back to back with a cider like this, and it just like's going to completely clean out your digestive tract and make you happy <laughs> yeah. and, and, and your palate and, 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 well, and your palate of course, and make you thirsty for more but it's it's a nice break between the malts i think um and it's and this cider i mean I think you'd all agree is is got that same kind of wild yeast sour profile that's become so popular in beers now, mm-hmm. and we don't find it in American ciders, but Spanish ciders have it in spades. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I personally love sour beers. Um, and this sour cider does it for me that way. Yeah, that's all the ciders they do in Spain are with the indigenous yeast. They're all sour ciders. There's nothing made with inoculated yeast at all. And they don't add sugar at no all. No sugar, yeah. No, nothing. Anthony, what's the name of the cider again? So we've got the Valdoranan, which is made by Menendez. And uh, that's their, their specialty label for that. And then we've got the Castañón, which is their, their traditional. Uh, so the Castañón is more of a... Um, you know, more of a egalitarian cider. Uh, it's going to be aged in stainless steel, and then the Valderonan is aged in uh, two hundred thousand, sorry, twenty thousand liter uh, chestnut barrels. And their barrels are about two hundred years old, and they just kind of rub them down with some lard and some ash every year. There's no oh, you no got to you got to tell about the little door. So it's not oh, vegan, the little door. It's not yeah. vegan. Then. It's not oh no, vegan. this is not vegan. Yeah, I try to preface that before, but a little bit of lard doesn't hurt anyone. Um, but yeah, these little doors, these 20,000 liter barrels, they're huge. And so they have this little but door how, in the How front big of, is that? Like a car, a garage? Yeah. Oh, no, much bigger than... Uh, well, see, well yeah, yeah, it's bigger than a car. But. 12 or 14 feet high. But yeah. uh, the little door, I guess the point is... Yeah, it's the size it's of a box enough. truck. Really. size of a box right. truck sounds right. like. And yeah. it's large enough for a man to... Uh, crawl inside. A man crawl inside every year <laughs> with a, a rake or a, like a stiff brushed comb almost. And, and they... Like brush down the inside to clean it, so yeah. it's quite large if you can picture. That's a grown between man the fermentation, inside. right? I think because they yeah, start yeah. the fermentation in these various big yeah. toneles, they're called, and then they blend them all so that they have a, a uniform product mm-hmm. because each one is going to be slightly different depending on the yeast in each barrels. So halfway through the fermentation, they empty all these barrels out, put them in one enormous tank to mix them. And then while they're mixing together, some guy crawls into this, and I'm telling you, the door is like 12 inches wide by maybe 18 inches tall. And these big guys somehow dislocate their shoulders and <laughs> crawl in and put like a work light inside and broom the insides, and then they fill them back up with cider for the second fermentation. Hey, all right, let's take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today.
This one's called Quitting Time by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're out here at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Having a great time. Looking forward to having some pizza and some other things after the dinner. There's a great crowd here tonight. Um, and we're going to switch from Spanish Ciders to Maine. Uh, we've got Dennis and Joe Fisher, the authors of Brewing Made Easy, with us. And uh, Jason Perkins, who is the, one of the main brewers at Allagash in Maine, is on the phone. Jason, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Great. We're really excited to have you. I know our New York City Beer Week is is coming back. It, it, it took a little break, and it's coming back at the end of February. And uh, an event that we're producing is called New York City Brewer's Choice. I'm really excited that you'll be coming down to New York for that on February 27th. So thanks for That's doing right. that. Yeah, I'll be there. Cool. So what's going on at Allagash? Um, you, you know, we I know Jen Schwartman's here from Blind Tiger. Hey, Jason. And, How are you? Um, I'm doing well. Yeah, I mean, there's you guys have so many great beers out there. Tell us what some of the things you're working on now uh, for this season and this year. Yeah, we got a lot going on up here at the brewery these days. Um, you know, we've got um, some, like a lot of other craft breweries out there, we got some pretty big expansion stuff going on. Uh, we've got uh, a new building going up, going to have a new brew house for us, um, and some new fermentation space going in as well. Um, to help us keep up with with demand out there, which is which is pretty exciting and keeping us pretty busy. So, are um, you are you going to move into the new facility completely, or are you going to have two breweries functioning? We're going to have two, and, and and it's attached to the front of our current facility, so it's just okay. an expansion of the current facility, and uh, we'll be putting in a brand new um, uh, German made brew house in that space, and continuing to run our old one as well. Um, we'll run kind of both of them in tandem. Um, You'll be busy. That'll give us a big capacity increase so that's exciting and uh we also have dramatically expanded our um barrel storage both for um you know non-sour barrel aged stuff you know stuff like our curio and our bourbon black and odyssey and stuff that's aged in oak barrels uh, kind of without any souring organisms mm-hmm. and we also uh dramatically expanded our space for for uh wild barrels as we call them here so uh, anything from uh spontaneous fermentations to Britannomyces, ferments, and lactobacillus, and so on and so on. You know, whenever a beloved brewery talks about expanding their barrelage, that's always good news for us. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a key thing you want to listen for. That's fantastic. Sure. That's great. Yeah, we're excited. Jason, we've got um, two authors from Maine. We've got uh, Dennis and Joe Fisher, authors of Brewing Made Easy. They live up by Bangor. I thought I'd bring them in, and you guys can chat a little bit. Um, sure. Hey, Jason. Hey. How are you? Do you guys know about what, what Allagash is doing? Uh, something that people in Maine know about? Is it? Oh, sure. I mean, Allagash is a you know, very it's a well-known brand. Label. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so much to say. Oh, well, you know. Yes, well, we're laconic. We're northern. People have heard of Allagash, okay. Jimmy. <laughs> it's on menus all around us. So. Yeah. Well, Jason, listen in, because I, I want to talk about their, their book, uh, Brewing Made Easy. Um, there is great satisfaction in learning to homebrew with the Fisher's easy-to-follow techniques and recipes. You'll be on your way to making fresh and tasty beers. So your first book, I'm going to tell you, it was called uh, Homebrewer's Garden. And Jason, what was cool is that they, they had recipes for growing things like ginger and dandelion and, uh, you know, kind oh, of... Oh, yeah. I know the book. It's, uh, it's on my bookshelf right behind me, actually. <laughs> cool. I'm looking nice. at it right now. Yeah, nice. I know that book well. Glad to hear that. 
<laughs> so how did you go for you, you? That was your first book, and now you've you've made something that's called Brewing Made Easy, which is more of a a homebrew book. Well, Brewing Made Easy is uh, actually a second edition of a book we wrote back in uh, 1997. So a story came to us a couple years ago and said, um, you know, how would you like to do another version? And uh, we thought that was great. We wanted to um, have the opportunity to update it because a lot of things have changed since then, uh, especially in the areas of uh, sanitization. There's a lot more products now that are a lot less scary than, you know, back in the day when we wrote this book, it was like bleach, idafor. And, you know, not Be bright, a lot, things like that. I mean, not a whole lot of choices. This is a lot closer to the book that they wanted us to write, um, but it, it, a lot of the, the the safe chemicals weren't available at the time. Right. But actually, um, Bring Made Easy is our third book. Our, our first book um, was Great Beer from Kits, which is essentially how to take a, a, a can kit um, uh, of malt extract and make an interesting beer out of it. You know, add, add some hops and different specialty malts. Uh, I think that one's actually out of print now. Oh, well. I wasn't going to mention the out of print one. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's an interesting all, approach. Print, that's a different, you know, yeah, something, to, it was a, something different. It, it, I was going to ask you about this book, this new one, and what makes it different from all the other, you know, make making homebrew easy type books that are out there now. Uh, well, it's because we wrote it. It's a second edition. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, Can I ask you something? Sure. Um, is, it, is there any particular... I mean, we started, and we actually had a very successful IPA when we first started homebrewing. And, um, and then we had a disastrously bad porter because we just got loose-handed with cloves. And, um, uh, yeah, that, that will do it. That yes. happens. Yeah. Um, but recently, actually, one of our Spanish brewers is about to brew their first stout. Um, mm. Spain is very much a blonde beer country, country and although the, the beer geeks of Spain are doing phenomenal, as Jimmy knows, you know, great stouts. Sure. Um, they maintain that it's harder to, to brew a blonde beer perfectly balanced than it is to, to you know, to do a roasty beer. It right. is. Right. It, it is. Um, it, it's harder in a beer that um, um, is... It, Basically, you're, you don't have anywhere to hide yeah. in, in a Pilsner type so beer. Um, you know, you have your hops, you have a, a certain amount of maltiness, not too much, a little sweet finish. But yeah, you, it's it, it's a much much trickier proposition to brew a good Pilsner type lager beer than to brew a, a big stout. Ha ha ha! You will actually notice that with some um, breweries that haven't quite gotten their act together completely, that. The first beers that they kind of nail that you're like, oh, okay, I can root for these guys. They actually make a decent stout or a decent porter. It's because they still may not have nuanced their systems, but they at least can pull that off. And, <laughs> well, and you know, now that, you, now that I've said that, maybe I'll survey that. Well, bit. what's very funny is that one of the guys who's sort of somewhat responsible for kicking off um, or jump-starting the, the Catalonia brewing scene is Steve Huxley, who's a Liverpudlian, and he's a real ornery git. And he told me the other day, in jest, but in all seriousness, that um, a brewer that he, he loves and does a great job doing bitters and so forth is about to do their first stout, and they're going to call it based on something that he said to them a long time ago, Akmas, A-C-C-M-A-S, yes. which stands for... Any cunt can brew a stout. <laughs> you better say that again. <laughs> this time. You say it in your proper accent, John. How would Steve say it? Steve would say it probably something like, any cunt can brew a stout. <laughs> All right. Well, Jason, uh, 
So what do you think about that? Do you want to ask anything of, of Dennis and Joe? You know, they're from Maine, just like you. <laughs> <laughs> you all know each other up there, right? Um, yeah, yeah everybody knows everybody up, up there. there. Uh, Do we lose you, Jason? So, sorry, I, uh, I couldn't, couldn't understand you. I know it's tough. Um, so you have the Homebrewers Garden on, on your bookshelf. Um, so th- does that inspire you? You know, you're, 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 and what do you think about that, these old styles of brewing and people using dandelions instead of hops or something? I, I'm sorry. The sound's a little, a little bit uh, muddled there. I still didn't hear your question exactly. That's, Jason, it's okay. Maybe you can't hear us uh, as as good as you should. But it's so great. Thanks for calling in, man. Sorry, sorry that the connection's not so great. Okay, thank you. We'll see you in uh, New York City Brewers Choice on February 27th in New York. All right. So, but but the thing about Homebrewers Garden, I think it's so exciting, is that you guys really did write about the way that people used to make beer before they they just had hops and grain and you know had this kind of industrial vision of beer. And I, and I really think it's the most exciting book I've ever read, read about beer. So, well, that's that's a compliment. Well, thank, thank you. you. Um, and we we did a lot of research when we wrote the book. We um, we brewed Horhound beer. We brewed. Um, uh, dandelion beer. We brewed uh, heather beer, and th- the interesting thing about these the kind of alternative um, um, brewing herbs is they're all bitter, um, but they're all very, very different than, than the hop bitterness that you expect. Um, and when you're talking about the, the the cloves ruining the porter, we certainly um, uh, what what the heck was that spice? Um, Not maybe. No, it was. Um, oh, I've, I've I've forgotten it, but it it's like a, a quarter ounce ruined an entire batch oh, of gentian. beer for us. Yes, gentian. Oh, my so God. bitter, oh. so unbelievably bitter. Don't brew with gentian. Uh. I've never even heard of gentian. Uh, Is it a violet? It's a root. And okay, it's an extract. And yeah, it's it's, it's a big uh, purple flower. Um, it, it, it's I an, and it was a mistake. It's, it's an alpine. Uh, we um, had to dump that that brew. We never could drink it. We, yeah, we, we could. Uh, we were it. waiting for it to age out, and we knew that it was gonna it was gonna outlast us. So Every we, other flavor <laughs> aged out except <laughs> the ginger. Yeah. I can't say <laughs> I've had a lot of botanical, you know, like bitter botanical beers. Mm. I would love to try more. Well, um, but what I do, you're right about bitterness and how hop bitterness is very different from a lot of other bitterness. But it's interesting when when it's practiced you know, correctly, that it can it can work together. The two bitters can come together as one unique bitter. Yes. And, and so that's always fun when you do try a beer and you're like, wow, that actually, that works because you're tasting both elements and yet they unify. Just like when right. food melds together perfectly. Right, right, absolutely. And Dennis, so you guys are also farmers. Yes. yes. Which has, has informed your experience with home brewing and everything. Yes. Right. Yeah. We have a like, kind of an agricultural perspective. Right. For instance, we brew seasonally. Um, we brew in the wintertime. That's the only time we have time to do it. And so um, so that's convenient for in some ways because there's a bank of snow outside. You take your brew pot, you stick it in the snow, cool it down. And, um, and we make a lot of lagers. And we make a lot of <laughs> lagers because that's a, it's a good time of year to make lagers. And do you grow other things like grains or hops as well? We grew a, 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 a row of barley, a, be, a bed of barley this year that was um, about um, three by 100 feet. We got about 15 um, 
pounds of barley out of that, um, and we, uh, you know, threshed it. We're getting ready to, uh, to to make some specialty malts. We don't try to, you know, make enough malts to brew with, uh, to to brew a whole you batch. But you do malt. I was gonna. Say yeah, that. it's fun. Yeah. It's uh, just, just a little bit of bat, little, you know, batch of specialty malts. It's, it's not a big deal. Um, uh-huh. Do you want to talk, talk about the process? Uh, just you, you can you can just sprout the malts, <laughs> so sprout the grains, and kiln them, and you know just make them as dark as you want, um, or or as light. So, um, so we do we do that. Um, we do uh, we grow our own hops. Uh, generally, we grow them right up the sides of our uh, our buildings. What kind? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, we, we have a wild. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not so much a wild hop as a feral hop. Is some hop <laughs> yeah, that yeah. that was grown on some uh, farmer's land right. that was found by a, a, a friend of ours who works at the university, and we got some some rhizomes. But uh, the, the one of the things about growing perennial anything is that the first thing you do is you lose its name. Um, so we, we we've lost its name, um, but we call it Orrington, and it, it's a fairly high alpha acid hop it's not a medium sized hop we've used it for um, we've used it for everything we've used yeah. it for for bittering for flavoring it's a really good um, good all around hop um, you're lucky uh, it, yeah, that it's, it's a good all around hop it's, it, 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 it's a nice dry hop yeah, you could you could grow a wild hop and get yourself all set up, and then you know five years later or three years later, and when they're all established, you find out that they're not very good and they're <laughs> prone to you know insects and things. So that we were lucky that this was a good one. Yeah. And we do. Um, let's see. What else do we grow? We grow. We grow a few uh, brewing herbs and a few other things, and we wild harvest spruce and um, some other things like that for our brewing experiments. So. Well, you guys are cool. Um, before we take a short break, let's <laughs> uh, say it one more time. It's Brewing Made Easy from Story Publishing by Joe Fisher and Dennis Fisher. You guys came down to New York City for our show, and tomorrow with the Culinary Historians of New York, you'll be speaking, talking about your book and uh, some other things. So thanks so much for coming on. We'll take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I love it. This one's called My Used to Be by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Wednesday at noon, Dorothy Can Hamilton, founder and CEO of the International Culinary Center, interviews the top chefs in the world on Chef Story. Hear from chefs like Christina Tosi. I'm going to be the best pastry cook this restaurant's ever seen. Francis Malman. Cooking with fires, it's very feminine, it's very fragile. And Jacques Pepin. I was invited to work at the White House for John Kennedy. Learn how the greats become great every Wednesday at 12 p.m. on Chef Story heritageradionetwork.org Alright, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. That's just another one of the great shows on our network and you can become a member go to heritageradionetwork.org You can join and uh, check it out. Alright, we've got a great show tonight. Joe and Dennis Fisher, their new book about homebrewing. 
Jen Swartman, the, the Rowan Imports guys, brothers Anthony and John, and Jessica and Johnny from Iberian Beer United. Um, it's so great to have you back on the show. So what do you Lovely think about the, their new book? I'm, I'm very impressed. It's uh, Brewing Made Easy from Story Publishing. It, you know, uh, uh, we, we pretty much took the year off from home brewing. We did a lot of it last year. But this year we were so tied up with the beer importing business that there just wasn't time. I've never seen anyone with a recipe for Etch a Thump. <laughs> so what's Etch a Thump? It's one of the great northern beers, a great brown ale, as only can be made north of the Midlands. You, you, England, really can't, you, you can't make these beers in the south of England. And appropriately enough, it's been brought out as a Northern American book. All the better. I have go. to do this one. This is, a, this is a much brew. Definitely try it and let us know how you do. I'm excited. It's I'm been a while. Am. We'll have to get our brewing chops together again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's really what I like about what you guys are doing, Dennis and Joe. I mean, you're, you're, you're thinking, looking at things differently. You've got an agricultural perspective. It does echo back to how people may have made beer, you know, a few hundred right. years ago. Right. We, we, we like a simple approach, and that's what people were doing back then. And there wasn't a lot of science. So it was, uh, people kind of did it by, uh, you know, by guessing by God. And, and if it worked out, that was great. And uh, if it didn't, well, you try again. So. All right. And then Jessica and Johnny, we've had you on before, but, you know, so much is going on now. A, f- a few years ago, everyone was talking about the craft beer revolution in, in Italy. The other day I was drinking uh, the Via Emilia Lager, uh, which is a yeah, that lager. Was, that you guys great. were over. Yeah, that was delicious. Um, but there's something going on in Spain. So is it mostly in Barcelona where you find the, the new craft beer It's definitely the epicenter. Barcelona is definitely the epicenter. But by now, actually, it's really spreading out all over the peninsula. And you've got some super brewers going on in Basque Country. Um, I, just fa- I just discovered one on today because, uh, uh, what do you call it, great uncle, mi tío abuelo, who's from Cadiz. Um, knows what I'm doing, and he said, oh, there's a new craft brewery in Cadiz now. I didn't even tell you about this, Johnny. Oh, see, this is all um, news to me. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's becoming infectious, and it's, really, and it's really gaining steam, and the quality of the beers is getting so much better. And uh, we just saw, actually, in the uh, Beer Atlas in the, of the World, um, the recent publication, which my daughter lovingly gave me for Christmas. Um, what a good um, book. Yeah, yeah good great job. book. book. Is, is looking at Spain as... as the country to watch in the next five years precisely because they don't have a brewing history and they're oh, they're learning their brewing not from age-old traditions that have been going on in the country but from you know spreading the net really wide and all these influences that coming over from uh from france from from belgium obviously all of the european union um germany uk um and the usa which are very popular beers ov- over there right now and they're just discovering the mighty hop you know, because the lager beers previously are, you know, they dumb down the hop big time. So speaking of hops, I'm going to start us off with um, L'Anjou Blouc, which is an ordinary bitter style ale. It's only 3.5%. We call it our featherweight hop slam. Um, because for a 3.5, it really packs a wallop. And it does. It's, it's nice. It's nice and balanced, though. Does everybody mm. have some? Yep, got some. Yeah, we've been and lucky. That little bitter kick at the end. And uh, mm-hmm. so at the dinner next week, which wh- which beers are you serving? You're serving the Lanjub. Uh, let's see if I can remember off the top of my head. I know the Lug is on. Um, uh, the Sagra Pills, which is the one I was talking about earlier, big multi pills. Um, the Lanjub Juliet and the Gisperga Trigo, which we're also going to try in a couple of secs. And the Gisperga Trigo is a wheat beer. It's a very classic style. This, the guy who brews them, Ferran, is, he's just, he's, 
a very humble guy, but he really knows his stuff. He's actually from a, a winemaking tradition. His family were, were winemakers for many, many generations. And he came over to, to, um, to the U.S., actually, to study enology and learned about the craft beer tradition and was like, wow, we've got to bring this back with us and set up what's now a tiny brewery, but he's hoping to expand. And his, the two beers he makes, I think you've all tried, is the porter that we had on the air last time. Mm-hmm. Um, and this trigo, which is a really, they're both just really simple, really well-balanced classic styles. And slightly, I mean, I want you to notice with, with the beers we're going to be having, the, the water, I think, I'm guessing, and maybe you guys can tell me, the water in, in Aragon and... and um, and Catalonia is very limey, and they have to treat it. Mm-hmm. But even after treating it, um, there's this really s- soft mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. Would that be from the water? It would. If, if you want to brew British-style um, ales, you need, you need that, that limey water. <coughs> but, yeah, Burton-on-Trent has limey water. Yeah, exactly. exactly. The gypsum exactly. content, the terroir, if you will, of, of those beers was really, it set the standard, and other brewers would add gypsum to try and get that right. influence, try to get right. that effect. Right, they call them Burton salts. Yeah, mm. exactly. Mm. Burton salts. Well, they, they have to actually take some of those salts out in Catalonia mm-hmm. and Aragon because they're so, they're so intense. The water is actually not very good to drink. But it does something. It doesn't show so much in this one because the hop's so intense. Um... But the next couple we're going to try are really, they're like creamy and soft mm. in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so drink up. Let's, let's open another bottle. I do like it. Mm. First, I've had the 1907, which is your pale ale, which is nice. It's a little maltier, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah much more. Much we had more. Juliet on draft the other day, which was which was a nice stout. Yeah, yeah. And that also, that has like kind of milkiness to it. It's almost like a milk stout, but it's mm-hmm. not um, because of this this softness in the water and the, I think the 1907 also has that, that soft mouthfeel quality. So in Spain we know we have this, this great tradition of cider, we have traditions of wine. Um, do you think that like the, the new culinary you know, trends in, in Spain are you know, kind of influencing the beer scene as well? Good question. Good question. I know that there are a lot of, um, certainly wine is pricking up its ears and that's been, it's been a problem and it continues to be a problem in Spain because wine in Spain is taxed like food as is cider. Yeah. So wine and, and cider are very accessible. They're age-old traditions. They were, you know, heralded in, in the case of cider, by the, I, uh, by the Iberian Celts, so pre-Roman. But, the, you know, obviously the Romans came and said, beer out, wine in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and since then, it's, beer is taxed as higher alcohol than wine is, which makes it very tough for craft brewing because a bottle, a 75-centiliter bottle of craft beer is probably going to be more expensive than a bottle of wine. Um, so that's, that's a tough nut, and I think they're talking about different taxation laws, but most of Spain is still pretty, outside of the sort of piratey beer geek scene, most of Spain is starting to get with the program, but they're still very unaware of the variety of styles of beer that are out there. And the, the, I'd say 97% of Spaniards stick to yellow fizzy stuff. Yeah, the seven corporates really represent a huge... Uh, it's the big piece of the market share there. People drink incredible amount of beer in Spain, but they drink fairly terrible beer. So that's that said, you know, uh, 
breaking. Give them time. Well, we've break, seen that history. Exactly. We've seen that history. It's changing. Exactly. Yeah. It's we've been changing. It, it continues to change. Well, it's actually so. one of the things that made us start thinking about Spain as a as prime territory because it's exactly the profile that the U.S. had um, not so terribly long ago. It was Coors, Miller Lite, Heineken, um, right. Budweiser. They were all corporate loggers. None of them had any character. In a blind taste test, maybe you might find your. Could your you really tell the Rhine Gold from the PBR? I mean, that was the thing. I can't, but some people can. If they are a Rhine Gold so drinker, then yeah. they know they're Rhine Gold. I suppose so that's probably I'll give true. them that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. If our, Rheingold still existed. <laughs> our new friend Ma- Mazen, the, the brewer from uh, 961 in Lebanon, he was on last week. And all he kept saying is that in his country, all the beers are owned by Heineken, even if they have a local label and they're all in green bottles. Yeah. So he says the whole the whole thing that they did was, well, what, what can they do rather than changing from green bottles to brown bottles and doing better beer? They, they, they coach you on how to make their beer taste decent. Even though it's not good, so they drink it really <laughs> cold. And he's like, "Oh, they drink it. From, tell you to drink it from the bottle, so you never smell it. Because you know, right. pour it in a glass. You know, you, you, it's they say icy cold. He says if oh, if yes. it's cold and you can't smell it, you can't taste the difference." Which yeah. seems, but we, we're way beyond that. Let's not go back and talk about macro. No, no. If, if you're new to the show, We've we try to talk far. about craft beer and, and interesting things. We're trying to go deeper with the the, the Fisher Brothers. And we're bringing in some funky traditional uh, ciders from Spain. With I'm going to call you guys I the Rowan so Brothers. I'm so impressed with these right. ciders. Right. Just so you know, Actually, it, I was just wait. Just, just, oh. Give them a microphone. Come on. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was thinking, Jessica, maybe we could collaborate between a traditional Spanish cider and a new Spanish beer because there are some blends going on between there the ciders is and beers. There is actually a brewery right. in Asturias. That um, last year at the Mediona Festival had such a beer, a yeah. hybrid cider beer, yeah. and um, it, it, it disappeared. Wasn't quite Everyone all drank what it. it could be, but it was so drinkable that um, it you know they lost they, they went through all the kegs they had. Yeah, I, well, we should day. talk to our producers and your producers and see if we can make something special for that. That would be, that'd be it's a, a great idea. blending of traditional and, and yeah, modern, old Spanish and new traditions. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Anthony. Why don't you and your brother say your full names? Because I still can't pronounce. <clears throat> You want to go for it? Uh, our last names are Bellevue Flores, although I guess there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people call us uh, the Rowan brothers, like you yeah. said. But uh, Rowan, in fact, is just a fictional name that we came up with for the company. <laughs> so uh, it's important like to Brooke distinguish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it turns out, you know, it is, a, um, it is a Celtic word. And all cider does have Celtic roots. It means it's a Celtic fruit plant. And so that was just kind of something that we found out after the fact. Uh, but yeah, no, my full name is Anthony Joseph Bellevue Flores. And this is my brother, John Richard. Oh, Richard oh. Bellevue Flores. <laughs> yeah. So not rolling. Yeah, no. All right. And you guys, next week will be at Jimmy's number 43 for the, the we dinner will. on Monday yeah. and a tasting on Thursday with oysters. And yeah. at Blind Tiger, are, are oh, yeah. you guys are doing a special Tomorrow. Event? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. And we're going to be pouring the Escanciador, not just the little machine. We're going to... We're actually going to be standing in the corner doing this four to six foot pour, hopefully. If we're <laughs> no, we've got a we got a bucket, so we won't make a make a mess. It's really beautiful. Yeah, but I it, can't wait to watch. It's that. so much fun. Well, you're gonna have to join in, Jessica, because yeah, exactly. you, I'm sure, have She's more good. experience than we do. So uh, I'll have a go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Jessica, you, you know, you have this great story because you've been in New York a long time, you and Johnny, and you had an epiphany. And and you started importing beers from Barcelona, but now you're helping the Spanish cider guys get out there. You're, well, we're you're helping like each a other. Out. You're amazing. We're, we're helping each other out. Um, you know, these guys. I don't know. You haven't mentioned they they self distribute, so they they go all around um, to all of the places we want to be in, and 
and so if they talk about us and we talk about them, then we get twice the publicity. So, um, yeah. you know, make it all Spanish fiesta. In, in the end, a, a huge part of our mission statement from day one has been to try and give Spain a higher profile. Spain needs it. Because mm-hmm. people really don't understand that Spain is not just Rioja. You know, there's a, there's a terrible misconception that uh, the red wines are the only thing that's going on. It's a I, lot more elaborate than that. Yeah, and we, we feel the same, which is why it's been so fortuitous for, you know, the four of us to really yeah, work together exactly. on this. We're all coming together right at the exact same time. We've been in business for about six months. Your first shipment came over... Yeah. Just before Sandy. Yeah. yeah, just before Sandy, yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, we're both really new to this, and you know, we both bring different things to the table. You know, like, like Jessica said, John and I have our little truck, and we do our own deliveries every day. So you know, if you want some Spanish cider, one of us show up with cases of it. I hear the customer service is excellent. Oh, thank yes. you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and plus, they have lineage that goes back to Pizarro. Yeah. We so, do. A long yeah. time ago. Yeah, to be fair. Yeah. But I mean, our, our mom lived in Spain. Conquistador. And yeah, yeah. yeah, conquering the United States again. So. <laughs> Heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we're going to wrap it up soon. Jen, you want to say anything uh, about what you're doing these days? Oh, I'm packing. I'm, yeah. Uh, I am actively oh, packing sorry. because sorry. I am getting ready to move to San Diego in April. And do you have any special plans? Uh, Well, the inspiration is the brew pub that the Bagbees are going to start. Jeff Bagby is an incredible brewer out there. Um, If anyone's familiar with Pizza Ports, uh, he worked for them for a long time. He oversaw all the brewing operations for them and was the brewmaster of the Carlsbad Pizza Port. And he spun out of there a year ago. It was January 1st last year, and he and his wife are, and his family are getting ready to open their own brew pub. And I've been so excited about that for him that I thought, you know, Jen, maybe you need to go work for him and have the experience and go dig your toes into some sand. So I am, my goal is to live within five blocks of the beach somewhere and to uh, oh, yeah. bartend for some good friends out Can there. Can visit? Yeah, yeah, please, because I'm going to miss you guys horribly. I'm not, I don't, yeah, I love New York. I'm not selling the apartment. Raise our glass. Jen, you're an amazing uh, person in American craft beer. Absolutely. uh, We will keep up with you. And the brothers, Anthony and John from Rowan Imports. And Uh, I'm not gone yet. I'll be here for a few more months, so I'll be on again. So, yeah, not saying goodbye yet. (laughs) And you guys, what's coming up next week? Well, the two events that we have next week, obviously, you know, at your place. <laughs> and tomorrow at the Blind Tiger Ale House. We'll be there from 3 p.m. on. That's, yeah, that's going to be a fun one. Yeah. And Dennis and Joe, anything you want to say about your book before we sign off? They got both microphones. There's only four <laughs> microphones and <laughs> ten people. Okay, we, we've each got one now. That's great. Uh, well, we just hope it, uh, it, it continues its tradition of helping people um, and who are just starting out in brewing. It's coming out next month, right? It is coming out next month. It yeah. just it just got shipped from the warehouse, so we have some advanced copies. And uh, so it's brewing made easy from Story Publishing, Dennis and Joe Fisher. Do, does anybody ever make a pilgrimage to your farm to meet you guys and hang out? Actually, like, somebody uh, did that last yeah, um, last yeah. summer when we, they, they came to our CSA day. And it's like it was wow. It was like we got a fan. That's yeah, and this so was the weird. Society for Creative Anachronism. This guy, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and this is great because you know. Back at you know, it wasn't long ago that if you were trying digging around trying to find ways of doing things, you know, unusual, you know, how, how to build a loom or how to make big, big bread or something in a, in, a, in a clay oven, 
these were the guys who were doing it. You know, everybody you know thought they were just crazy people running around on horses, but uh, they, they had uh, they were experimenting and really digging into some of these old things. And I've learned some stuff from them. But they're fans of us. Well, we learned today, and, and uh, thanks to Jason Perkins, the, one of the brewers at Allagash Brewery up in Portland. He, by the way, he runs the show. You so he's the he's head not, brewer. Yeah, I mean, Rob Todd is like I don't know what's going on there. I mean, we love Rob, but yeah, it's Jason. Jason is the man. So let's get that. So clear. Jason said on his bookshelf, he's a big fan of the Fisher Brothers book, which is awesome. And Jason, thanks again. We will see you uh, February twenty seventh at New York City Brewers Choice with a featured event on your craft beer week. All right, and Jessica and Johnny. You guys are making waves. Thank God you guys got your beer and uh, <laughs> you got to sell it out. Making waves is well chosen, I think. Yes, but you, you had said on your site that you guys are trying to be on the cusp of the craft beer revolution in Spain. Yeah, it's really exciting to, to you know, uh, we saw it coming up in New York as well, you know, but to see it in its nascent stages somewhere else. Well, is, just to give you an idea, the... the and, Barcelona and a place Beer that Festival we love, you know. um, this year, which is March, if anybody has the opportunity to get to Barcelona, 9th to the 11th is three days, and they've taken over now in Catalonia, bullfighting's uh, illegal now. But the um, the old Plaza de Toros, where the bulls, where the bull arena used to be, has now become a mall, and they've kept the the central stadium open for big events. So last year, the BBF was in this tiny little, well, not tiny, you know, good size little convent medieval convent they couldn't get the people in who wanted to get in so this year they managed to get just a few weeks ago the uh the stadium um what used to be the bullfighting um stadium wow. and it's going to be phenomenal and when's that that's march 9th 10th and 11th of this year so you come to new york city beer week the end of february then you go to barcelona absolutely yeah. all right and strumke's coming over to do um of still water artisanal ales coming over with us to do two collaborations uh, one with our brewers and one with um, a Shelton Brothers brewer. That's great. All right. So, hey, we'll give a shout-out to Good Brewer Seal Events. Uh, get your tickets now for New York City Brewers Choice at City Winery on February 27th. Go to goodbrewerseal.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, greatbrewers.com. And also, hey, check out Brett Weekend. If you like Brett beers, go to Browery Lane this coming weekend, and uh, they're going to celebrate those great beers. So thanks again, greatbrewers.com. And to everyone on the show tonight, thanks to Jen, Dennis, Joe, Jessica, Johnny, Jason, and Travis for joining me here on the Heritage Trade Network. And Anthony and John from Rowan Imports. All right. And to our producers, Jack Kinsley, Brie O'Connor, engineer Joe Galarraga. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.